God's grace, God's mercy, his peace be multiplied to each of you in the certain knowledge that Jesus is your Savior, your Redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow inhabitants of the temple of God, there are certain words that you just can't make sound good. Even the sound of them is, is repulsive. It, or it's, it's somehow negative in our minds. Creepy. Creepy. You just can't say that and have it be something good. Oh yeah, he's creepy. Slimy. Huss. It's just gross. So carry that into this area in which we live and, and, and go back in history. So the first people that came here were ascribed cool-sounding names or titles. They were pioneers. They were explorers. They were trailblazers. They were mountain men. Any of you guys ever dreamed of being a mountain man? It usually had something to do with being jilted by a woman. I'm going to go and be a mountain man, and I'm going to be my myself, and I'll be a romantic figure. But the name is cool, right? A mountain man. And then others came, and they still weren't bad titles because the land had been pierced. People had come into it, and then came settlers. Not bad. Pioneers. And some of them were farmers and ranchers. All good. All good titles still. But then somewhere along the line came another group. And this was after the land had been settled and it was owned legally or not, more or less, by others. And they came in and these earlier settlers, pioneers, farmers, ranchers, a lot of them died. It was very perilous times. They'd get sick and just die. And their, their land, their the cabin they built or whatever would be available, so these others moved in. And what did they call them? Squatters. There is just no good way to say that word. I, could you imagine anybody at a family reunion boldly saying, yeah, my wife and I are squatters. They just, yeah. The problem with squatters, as history tells us, was that they usually leached off the work of someone else. They came and, by and large, moved into what was already there. So you'd have, for example, a big rancher who had line shacks because his place was so big, his hired hands would go out and work cattle in the area too far to go back and forth, so they would stay in this line cabin. Well, they'd ride out one day, and they'd find squatters had moved into the cabin that somebody else had built and was claiming it for their own. They also were notorious for not doing anything to maintain or upgrade the land. That's the main reason why others hated them or despised them. Because from their perspective, they were reluctant to put any work or an, any amount of work into an area when they were never sure if they were going to get kicked out the next day. So it was a lower strata of people that moved in known as squatters. How do you think God sees us? Because this is all detached and objective, but now make it subjective. 
How do you think God views us? Would he list us, label us, recognize us as squatters or as tenants? Because we live in a dwelling that is not our own, as we're going to hear from our text for this morning. We are not owners of this body in which we live, we simply inhabit it and it's owned by another. And are we good, faithful tenants? Do we take care of this? Do we do what the owner wants? Or are we more at times loathsome squatters? This is a question, one of the questions we're going to address on the basis of our text for this morning found in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, the sixth chapter beginning there with the twelfth verse. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So far the very words of our God trusting that God will keep his promise again this morning to work his power through these, his words, also among us. So we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. So the first fact revealed to us by our God, so we know it's true, in this text, is that we don't own ourselves. You need to to, to pause here and hear that again and think about it and let that sink in. I do not own myself. This body in which my life exists is not my own. That is actually profound when you come to terms with that truth. 
The world around us, of course, really, really does not want to hear that. It, it enrages them to have anyone else say that. In fact, the very fabric of who they are, how they think and what they do, is woven from the threads of humanism, man is a measure of all things, and self-ownership, selfishness. Think for a moment of the great evils of our society. I would guess that the one that pops instantly to our minds, at least I hope it would, would be abortion. There are, are countless evils, of course, but this, since we've learned sort of to live with it, is the most heinous evil of our society, where our society in general condones the murder, the bloody, gory murder of the most innocent and helpless among us. So how does the world justify that? It's all predicated on justified by the concept that we own ourselves. That a woman owns her own body and therefore gets to do whatever she wants with it. And God tells us that's simply not true. Plug in other great sins. And you'll see that society tends to try to justify every one of them on the basis of self-ownership. I am myself. I get to do whatever I want. There's a, a push toward legalizing the recreational use of drugs. And the argument is, my body, my choice. I want to do what I get to. The only thing that limits this in their minds is if it interferes with the rights of someone else, who they also to believe. So into that morass, into that confusion, this bright, crystalline, pure light of God's word shines. And we read these words. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Think of that. Don't let that slide by. Think of that. In you, your body is a temple in which God the Holy Spirit resides. That's just awesome. If you really come to terms with what that means, that right now within you, the Holy Spirit resides. You have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This will actually be a life change. But here it applies. If we let this, this truth from our God will change almost everything because it provides this touchstone that can be referred. And you'll find clear answers to the vast majority of them. Because if I'm not my own, if I'm a tenant here, the questions of life change. It's not, for example, if you're thinking of what to do with your life, your first career, second, third career, whatever. It's not. It's how does God want me? God the owner. How does he want me to use this temple, this body that he gave me? Because it's not mine. It's not mine to do with as I choose. It's my God's. And he's given me Every decision, in fact, changes.
Because it's not what will make me happy, it's what does my God want. It's not is this possible, but is this wise, is this best? Knowing that I don't own myself and my life, therefore, is not all about me. It's all about the owner. This also, by the way, radically alters our perception of success, doesn't it? Now, you know how the world defines success. You heard it probably a thousand times, each of you. They're talking about somebody, oh, he's very successful. What does that mean? That always means they're rich or powerful or whatever. They have fancy everything. That's the world's idea of success. Well, now plug it into this truth that God revealed to us, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so glorify God in your body. And it changes, doesn't it? It's not then success can't be about what I did for myself, what I accumulated for myself. It's how did I use this temple, this body that I'm just occupying, owned by another, in the service of the owner? How did I live my life to his glory, as God told me to do here? So that's, again, a picture of a perfect world where we walk throughout the day remembering the Holy Spirit was, is within us. So we obviously never want to do anything that would sully this temple, invite anything in that would be bad. But how do I then live my life for my God? Does that mean everybody has to be a pastor or a Christian day school teacher or a foreign missionary? Now, if you, if you recall, um, a couple of years ago, we had a study of an oft-neglected doctrine in God's Word called the Doctrine of Vocation. Does it ring a bell with anybody? The Doctrine of Vocation is important, and yet for some reason we neglect it. And says simply that it is God who calls every single one of us to our life of service wherever we are. It isn't that God just calls some to be pastors, teachers, and so forth. Because of what comes next, what, is, what are they called to do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, obviously, everybody can't be that and shouldn't be that. It, it's sort of like once in a while if we, if we try to gather a choir here and we go back to sing our song and there's nobody left to hear it. Uh, if everybody were pastors and teachers, there would be no congregation there would be no means to support the congregation, and so on. So God calls some to equip everyone else, but they also have a vocation. They also have been called by God as his servants in whatever circle of life they find themselves. This is a tremendous comfort to many, by the way. Some are wondering, well, should I, and it's good to aspire toward, but God didn't outfit everybody for that. So you comfortably, confidently look at these are the gifts God gave me and I'm going to serve him here. This is still my calling, my vocation. And God's plan is that I use the opportunities in this vocation to serve him. And again, that's the perfect world picture. But we're dragged back to the image of the squatter. And we ask ourselves, how am I doing 
in all of this? Am I, am I, do I see myself in that perfect picture of God saying, here's all the gifts I've given you, use them in my service. Glorify God in your body. Or do I look at myself and see more of a squatter, an ingrate, someone who believes he owns what he's been given? Evidently, this is where a text comes in, Evidently, some souls in Corinth were using and abusing what had become a popular expression uh, of their day. All things are lawful for me. That's squatter talk when you stop to think about it, isn't it? That's not something that noble Christians say. Evidently, what they were getting at is, and we're not sure, but the most likely explanation is, when they used this expression, they were saying, since Jesus died for my sins and paid for them, that whole thing is removed. Sin can no longer condemn me. I'm saved or condemned on the basis of faith in Jesus. So taking some of Paul's advice, for example, eating meat sacrificed to idols, it's nothing. You can do it if you do it in good conscience. Don't if you can't. And... And also, when he talked to Peter, the sheet let, let down from heaven and the unclean animals, and he said, it's changed now, you can eat, there are no restrictions on food. So they took all that, and they made this, all things are lawful for me, I can do anything I want. Well, they could eat anything they want, they could drink anything they want, obviously not drunkenness, but, but is it squatter talk to think in those terms? To think, I can do this and not go to hell. Instead of, is this what my God wants? Is this what the owner of this temple, my body, wants? Is this what I would do to glorify him? So Paul addressed that. All things are lawful for me. You can see him quote, it's in quotes. So he said, okay, this is what you're saying. All things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Interesting concept, isn't it? Do you ever feel, old Adam in you, because that's where it would come from, do you ever feel somehow deprived or somehow see an injustice that the world seems to have no restrictions. They get to do whatever they want. Well, ask yourself this. I will not be enslaved by anything. What exactly does that mean? Now, we know that Christians, let me get, make this clear, Christians experience an internal change when we're brought to faith. The new man is created. The new man doesn't think like that. So if you find yourself having thoughts like, man, I wish I could, get, I could do what the world does. I wish I could get away with that stuff. That's squatter talk. That's old man talk, thought. Because the new man doesn't think that. But here's how you address that old man, old Adam talk, if you ever think like that. When God's word here talks about, I will not be enslaved by anything. 
could you imagine any scenario where you would not be owned? Could you imagine any scenario at all where you could actually be an independent operator, free of any sort of obligation or encumbrance? Well, our text says you were bought with a price. Bought from whom? Bought from what? Slavery to another master. The point is, there is no such thing as self-ownership. Because you will be owned, each of us will be owned by one of two things. Either you are owned by God and inhabited by His Holy Spirit, or you are owned by the devil and you are enslaved to sin. Those are the only two options. Nobody goes through life as a self-owner. We are owned by one or the other. So the way to use this in connection with any thoughts your old man, your old Adam might bring, like, oh, look at the world they get to. Instead, look at, that would be my option. They're not free. They might look like they have more opportunity or more whatever, according to that old man in us, but what you need to learn to see is slavery and ownership by Satan. And then that, that changes, doesn't it? Because if those are our two options, which they are, owned by Satan and going to hell, or owned by my God, not only is that not cumbersome, it's enlightening and liberating. I don't want, obviously, to go to hell, but... The opposite is, I am now owned by my God, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. Cause for rejoicing, nothing less. Our text also then goes through some of the understanding this, then this. In other words, when you understand what the reality is for a Christian, that the Holy Spirit owns you, he lives within you. He talks about how repulsive it is, and should be to us, to introduce anything unclean into that. Now, actually conceptualize this, visualize it. This is a dwelling, me, in this lives the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He's that perfect, holy, third person of the triune God. How would we ever want to, when we're thinking, when we put on the new man and thinking in terms that God wants, how could we ever contemplate putting anything unholy into that temple where God the Holy Spirit dwells? You want more ammunition to use against your old Adam? How much would it take, how much sin would I, would I be safe in introducing into that temple? until the Holy Spirit would no longer live there. Now understand, it is faith alone in Jesus Christ who saves, but sin has that power to destroy saving faith. It has that power to corrode and destruct, destroy. How could you and I then ever feel burdened or displeased by the fact that 
God himself is a landlord of our bodies. Let this sink in in this week to come. Think back to these words. Whenever you see house for rent or something else, let that trigger this remembrance that this body is owned by someone else and you are just living here in it. You've been bought by the blood of Christ. You serve him. And then see how that guides and directs everything that you do in life. And then listen to that voice of your God. Hear that Holy Spirit within you directing you. And thank him that he lives there and ask him to live there without a rival. Amen.